Welcome to this week's episode of Fighting Words. Back with Jack Korzanowski. How you doing, brother? Doing all right. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Just all right? Hey, you want to plug your podcast? Have we done that? No, I don't think we have. You, you mean the one with Ben and me? Yeah. Tangential Banter. Have, uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't um, we haven't actually uploaded it. Say what it's Do called it. again? Tangential Banter. Yes. So the story behind that is back, because Ben Mowell, uh, who's the co-host of me, we're in this. We've been in the same group here at Redeemer since early 2017, so over four years. And for a couple years, people like we would just be in group and you know eating dinner and stuff before we actually get going in conversation. We get in some real random conversations, and we both get real into it. And people were saying for a couple of years, "Hey, you guys should start a podcast just and talk like this." And after a couple of years of hearing that, we finally did it. Yeah, Morris, I did it to shut them up, really. Um, but it's That's why you do fun. most things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you're not. You're, I wouldn't, yeah, I'd have to sit back and think on that. But you're probably not too far off from the truth there. But um, we have fun with it. But I know, and we were keeping up with it pretty regularly up until uh, right around COVID hit. Yeah, and then coincidentally, we both got real busy with stuff. It was unrelated to COVID that did stop. Yeah, most people got unbusy during COVID. Right, not us. Um, <laughs> you were off fighting a pandemic. Um, <laughs> Work picked up for me, and that's when he met Sarah, who was now his wife. So uh, I started spending a lot of time with her. He went I on spent, a tangent. Yeah, I started spending a lot of time, a lot more time at work. So that was a that was an even trade, I'd say. Um, what is it? Describe the niche of tangential banter. Oh, right. So it's literally just Ben and I talking about random stuff, and I mean real random. The last episode we did was we were trying to figure out why Midwesterners are so obsessed with ranch dressing. Uh, and it was just us talking about an hour off that. And then the whole point is because we would – the re- what reason why it's called tangential banter is because we start on one topic and it can evolve into something wholly unrelated yeah. real quick like. And because that's how we talk and that's how our conversations get so deep and so – and we can just talk for so long. So we end up just ducking and weaving in all these different conversations. And we both have inter- – I'd say he certainly has interesting stuff to say. I, I would think from what people have said that I have interesting stuff to say. And well, there are many fun. reasons people can be found interesting. You know, like a car crash is interesting. Yeah. It's tragic. That's true. I'm not making any analogies to that in your no. personality or anything. Just Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. what, what, hint, hint, right? Uh, like people hear you talk like, wow, you need to get this out there. People need to witness <laughs> what's what going on in your brain. Yeah. <laughs> And then another, so put another perspective, right, of how much random stuff we talk about. We spent my favorite episode, the one that's our, at least my pride and joy, I think Ben shares the sentiment, is we spent one whole hour talking about the different unspoken rules of etiquette in men's bathrooms. I I didn't make it through the whole hour, but I remember that one. Oh, you did? Because there's actually a lot of them. There's a lot of unspoken rules. Yeah. Like you, like if you go up to the urinals, and ladies, I'm sorry if you can't relate, but all the dudes listening probably can. If you go up to the urinals, and let's say there's three, right? Three open ones. You do not take the middle urinal. You don't. You right, because you've got to leave a buffer for you leave a buffer. else might enter. So if you take, let's say, the far right one and another guy comes in, that guy certainly doesn't take the middle one. I usually he, just stand between the second and third and just pee back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
like, yeah, you're the reason why we go in there and just say, what in the heck happened? But, dude, I don't know if this was like a year elementary school, but we just had a trough that everyone gathered around and faced, yeah. faced each other and yep. just peed in a trough. They don't have it. They had, if you're ever familiar with the Metro, the Metrodome uh, in the Twin Cities, that okay. was the old Viking and Twin yeah, Stadium. Yeah, yeah. They since torn it down. It was the big inflatable one. Was the inflate the dome like the inflatable okay. stadium? They had those troughs in there, and they have them at this Minnesota State Fair too. And it's just the weirdest thing to me. No, it's just out of control. Yeah, that's weird. It's real basic. Or like, and another we didn't talk about the podcast since we found out about it since then. But Ben found a picture, or Ice found it, and one of us shared it with the other. It was a picture of it was a you know your a, a, a urinal bank in a bathroom, and you know how most urinals don't have the divider between them. Yeah. But then sometimes they do, and it's really nice. Well, what these people had done was for COVID, put it was in a bathroom that didn't have dividers, but for the sake of COVID, they put up a divider, but they made it out of clear plexiglass. <laughs> it's like, come on, man, you you put well, that's just for spray. You put in the effort to put up a divider. The least you could have done is make that it was for just, COVID. Yeah, just like why did you have to pick a transparent material? Like it's the worst of both worlds. So let me ask you this if you go uh to the bathroom right and and there's no urinal yeah. or no urinal divider and you're because of the distribution you're forced to pee yeah. next to another male yeah um do you make any attempt to provide your own type of divider with your hands or pants or you just own it and just be like like i'm out of trough here bro like Oh no! Yeah, I is think there you, any sense of privacy? Like, I think you have to own it because if you <laughs> if you make it seem too obvious, like you're uncomfortable, like you pull out your Bible, just like put it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you make it like an obvious trying to like you're trying to hide your junk from the other dudes, then you're gonna just you're actually gonna call attention to yourself. Everyone turns and looks. Like, Why is he trying to? Like, uh, he's making a big deal out of it over there. It's like now I gotta check it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So we just went on for an hour about that. Yeah. Well, we're not going to do that. No. We don't have a lot of time. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So let's stay on topic. Yeah. You you were phrasing some question about if someone shows up, I'm assuming you mean at church, mm-hmm. and says something like the following. Um, I don't take the Bible literally. Okay. Or maybe they'll be more specific and say, I don't take the creation story literally. That will trigger to use a uh, you know a timely word or it'll certainly spark, put up a red flag for a lot of different people they'll sure. hear that and they'll say oh this person probably isn't a real a real christian or whatnot but why do we jump to that conclusion and i'm not saying i'm not sure if you do but i know a lot of well, people would. yeah because uh in bible teaching circles mm-hmm. um so if you go to a you know bible college or something they'll they'll say we adhere to a historical, literal interpretation of the Bible, right? So they're they're framing that in opposition to something else that that came along, right? So they're saying the progressive Christianity, basically, in like early twentieth century, started deconstructing the faith in the Bible and said, "Oh, this didn't really happen. That didn't really happen. None of this happened. There's no supernatural. Jesus wasn't really born of a virgin." So you got this liberal Christianity that emerged as it basically demythologized Christianity mm-hmm. and turned it into just a book of ethics mm-hmm. at best. And then uh, and then in response to that, fundamentalism at its best was, no, 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 we need to defend the fundamentals of the truth. Fundamentalism to some extent later grew to mean like legalism. 
But in its birth, it was, no, we, we need to stick with the fundamentals of the faith, like the reality of God, the reality of the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the substitutionary atonement, the 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 truth, the truth of the Bible, that it's to be taken true and literally, and it's to be understood in its literary and historical context, right? So it's, we, we adhere to a historical, literal interpretation of the Bible. So... That's 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 how people who strongly defend the inerrancy of scriptures talk. So then when someone comes along and says, well, I don't know if I take it literally, the whole thing's at stake. That's I think the, there's a big inflammatory kind of like, that's they, what, you that's think they're the, saying more than they might be saying. That's the conclusion that gets jumped to. Yeah. It's a jump to conclusions, Matt, as a wise man once said. A jump to conclusions, Matt? Have you seen Office Space, right? Yeah, it's just been a long time. Oh, it's guy who wanted to uh, like he was he was jealous of people who came up with pet rock because such like a quick stupid idea, but they made millions on it. So he wanted to come up with his own okay. thing. <laughs> so he made a jump to conclusions mat. So it had all these conclusions written on it that you could jump to. Okay, and that was his thing. Yeah. Then they said, "It's got to be the worst idea I've ever heard of in my life." Yes, yes, it's horrible this idea. Anyway, so. Get back to the question at hand. That that's the that's the conclusion, and I, and I think when you mentioned about uh, countering progressive Christianity, and and kind of the the progressive Christianity viewpoint is it de, would you say demythologize demythologizes all of the Bible? So then the immediate response to that is to mythologize all of it. And I think I've seen we've. This behavior is seen in other walks of life, too. We see it in the political spectrum, where people will find a political party that they do not like, and they will, on every single stance, disagree with them, regardless of... They won't actually uh, study the stance at hand. They will just say, I disagree with it, because the people who are... For it, I'm against them. So I want to be against what they stand for, regardless of whether what they stand for is actually right or wrong. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the danger, where if we take the stance that, oh, progressive Christianity demythologizes the whole Bible, and we don't like progressive Christianity, therefore we need to mythologize. What was the word again? Mythologize. Mythologize. Jeez, thank you. We need to, therefore, mythologize the whole Bible. I think that's the wrong stance. I think we have to say progressive Christianity, regardless of what they're doing, we need to look at the Bible, the, the biblical accounts, and determine, was this book of the Bible, or this chapter of the Bible, or this specific passage, was that intended to be taken literally when the authors were originally writing it? And I think that's not the question. I think that isn't the focus. Right. So I think that, you know, obviously it comes down to, you know, if someone says that, hey, I don't believe you should take the Bible literally. Yeah. I would say, well, what do you mean? But the, the fact that someone would lead with that would actually be a different okay. yes. issue. But let's just say that's not the case. It just comes up in conversation. It comes up in conversation. Yeah. So do I take the Bible literally? I would say yes. But that means respecting its intent. Okay. Right. How do you mean by that? How does so, that relate to this conversation? Sure. That um, God uses poetic devices and things like that, but that's that's literally what it means. Like a poetic device 
is to take it literally is to is to let it do what it's what it means. Like for example, I just was looking up Song of Solomon. So I was going to bring that example yeah. up. Yeah. So someone says, <clears throat> "I take the Bible literally," right? So there's sometimes in here where he says things like, "Your hair is like a flock of goats." Okay. Well, he's using a that's simile. A, that's a is that a metaphor or a simile? It's a simile. That's a simile. You use the, the word like. The so, metaphor is your hair is a flock. Right. So yeah. but there, so he transitions later to metaphors. Your navel is a rounded bowl. Yep. Okay. So if we're going to – does taking the Bible literally mean we actually think she has a rounded bowl on her navel? Like, no. I. But it's not that I'm not taking it literally. I just think I'm respecting genre. Respecting – No, the, literally means yes. the, tr the truth it's trying to communicate I take literally. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean I discount the use of metaphor or poetry or, um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you talk about apocalyptic literature and yeah. uh, song, all kinds of things. You know, song structure. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of beauty art. It's not just a science book, right? It's an artistic book to a great extent. Can I caution you from using "I take the Bible literally"? But then, what you mean by that is you respect the genre. Sure, I think. Saying you take it literally is I don't respect the genre is if it is poetry and that says Well I'm trying to go meta next level, but she yeah. has like the yeah, hair like or like I, I remember seeing something online recently where it was like this is what a woman of Solomon would look like literally, right? If you actually take all the descriptions. So she had like deer heads coming out of her chest because like it says like her breasts are like a, a pair of does or something. Or and she, she had like her her hair was made of well, like, maybe that's actually of, what she looked like. Yeah, and we and think like, she had like doves poking out of her eyes because they say her eyes are like doves, and she so she looked like a monster. She looked yeah. like a chimera monster. It was horrible. <laughs> um, so obviously, that's not what they're saying. So in the Song of Solomon, you're right; it is poetry, and you're supposed to obviously. I mean, right now for us today, it's easy for us to tell that it's poetry. But are there other Bible or other books in the Bible that are poetry or just meant to be? Some sort of so here's a common myth. one where I think so so at the end of the day hmm. yes you have to exercise discernment and not everyone has the same discernment the same history the same um, uh, what do you call it assumptions they're bringing the same experience with the Bible and teaching so now you get into into troubles I don't think anyone's gonna get too caught up on this one what he's doing oh it's obviously making poetry about how beautiful she is like but let's go to the book of revelation so where i would say my interpretive grid on the book of revelation is to see a lot more metaphor there than say a dispensationalist sees so a dispensationalist would be someone who who believes in jesus is coming back is going to rapture the church and then there's going to be you know this um basically seven-year tribulation and then there's going to be a thousand-year reign of christ right mm -hmm. and it, the millennial kingdom and all this and that so the, why do they believe in this thousand-year reign of christ because the bible says he's going to reign for a thousand years right it's pretty clear right that's where the whole jehovah's witnesses comes from right it was from revelation with the 40, 14 well that's or, part of one of their beliefs yeah, the yeah. 144,000. so right. so i tend to view revelation revelation particularly a lot more like it uses a lot more metaphor, right. a lot more poetic device, and you have to get behind the meaning of those things. So I'm more of an amillennial covenant believer as opposed to yeah. these of, kids, huh? Yeah, we're getting a lot of background noise if you can um, get picked up there, folks. So it'll be over soon. Hey, hey. So the book of Revelation is a, a place where there's a comment. There's a lot of uh, 
debate in Christian circles. Right. Among people who would consider usually unless they get there's some people get real hostile about it, but mostly would consider one another believers. Right. So John Piper's a, a historic premillennialist. Premillennialist. John MacArthur's a, a predispensationalist. Pre, 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 premillennial. Mm-hmm. I'm an amill. Doug Wilson is a postmill. These guys could all speak at a conference together and go to lunch, and they'd be fine. Right. Now some people in these camps get real hot on one another on this stuff, but it's a place where there's debate about to what extent we're we're uh, we're using a really literal, as you would say, reading versus allowing more. I'd say metaphor to come in literal it's the I think again it's the literal versus figurative discussion just now it's how does that affect our interpretation of revelation rather than Genesis or no so you wanted to talk about Genesis a little bit well I think we see so for example this is probably close to a year ago now but I was watching I stumbled across a video where it was called evolutionists please become atheists and it was a Christian pastor who was making the point where if you believe in evolution or if you don't believe in the biblical uh, creation story as being literal, you should just go ahead and give up your faith and become an atheist. And I'm looking at that saying, you know, Jesus explicitly told us, there's a couple of things to work with. Jesus explicitly told us, this is one of them, that there are two commandments that are the most important. Love the Lord God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your spirit, with all your, I can't remember the Love, love the Lord your God, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Paul also said, hey guys, if Christ didn't get resurrected, what are we doing? Right? We're a bunch of, we're a bunch of idiots if he didn't get resurrected. So it literally happened. That actually happened physically. Paul gives us that insight. So when it comes to, all right, should Genesis be interpreted literally or or figuratively, why are so many people at each other's throats when that has nothing to do with Jesus' resurrection or loving the God with all of our heart or treating our neighbors as ourselves? I think we're getting it blown way out of proportion. The fact that it's something that, particularly nowadays, when there is fossil records and they're able to, and astronomy is astronomy or astrology? Which one is the zodiacs and which is the actual? Astronomy is the science. Astronomy and cosmology are saying, wow, look at all this info and look how old the Earth is. And we have evidence to show that the Earth isn't, you know, 6,000 years old. When you combine that with a lot of the scriptures, there's a lot more than meets the eye with how, if like, if you read, like, look in the, like the Bible Project discusses a lot about how, like the Hebrew and the ways of writing back then, there's a lot of nuances that we, like you and I, just can't pick up when we're just reading the Bible in a modern interpretation. Not to say that the message is any less diluted. We're just missing a lot of the background context, which could help us with figuring out what exactly it's saying. Why are we, when there's this topic of, of Genesis, you know, is this, if you don't believe that this is literal, then you're not a Christian or you have to, like you have, you're really struggling in your faith. That doesn't, something smells fishy to me. That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like that's how we should be treating one another. Now you can see with revelation, right? With, you said all these different interpret, there's a bunch of different ways you can interpret it. But for the most part, people who misinterpret or are interpreting these things differently aren't at each other's throats for the most part. Generally, they're not going to say, you're not a Christian if you don't believe exactly what I say. 
And I think that's healthy because it's like that that is showing, guys, there's this segment of scripture that's really weird. It's really out there. We don't know how to interpret it. Let's really think about this. How does it relate to Christ and God's mission for himself and for humanity? And there's obviously going to be different. Well, I wouldn't say they wouldn't. I wouldn't say they would say we don't know how to interpret it. I think they would say. I think I believe I have the right interpretation. Right. But it's but that issue is not a hinge issue. So you get down to what are the core issues that define fellowship? Okay. Right? It's like okay, I need to believe you're a believer. Yeah. That's our that's our fellowship. So for me, that is you have, you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I wouldn't even add inerrancy to that list. So the inerrancy of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Do I think the Bible's inerrant? Yes, but I don't think that's what makes you a Christian. You don't go around preaching inerrancy. Right. And it's not like. You know, the moment someone gets born again, they're like, oh, the Bible's inerrant. Like, this is not the, <laughs> right. the confession is Jesus is my Lord. Yeah. Right. He died for me. I trust him. I give him my life. Like, but you don't even know maybe that he's fully man, fully God. Yeah. Right. You're not you're not getting into that stuff. This is that comes later. The inerrancy of the scripture. So for me, yeah. for, you know, to believe that the only way I'm going to say someone is not a believer is if they're denying that core of the gospel that Jesus is the son of God that died on the cross for their sins like that's pretty it pretty much it what if they deny that Jesus resurrected though I should add that i sorry I always go just I under right which I communicate that I under communicate that but I agree because Paul says that right? I mean he that's the beauty yes. right I have to can I interject yeah I absolutely because there is that topic of I mean that seems just as mind-blowing and mystical and mythological as the is the Genesis creation story, right? Yeah. So it would be easiest, easy and progressive. Christianity does say this, or maybe he actually didn't resurrect. It's just a metaphor. Right. It's like, well, you know, what if you, you have to get He's resurrected speech. in your heart. Yeah. It's like, and Paul said, nope. He got up out of that grave. Right. He was dead and he came back. And if we don't believe that he resurrected, I mean, the fact that he called, he it just explicitly laid that out. Was a gift of God. So, so, so your question of why are people getting at each other's throats? I do think I. Well, I would say a couple things. I, I don't see that happening a lot. I know it's out there, and yeah. I've I've tasted it a little bit. But I know for a fact that there's people in our church. Some of lean old earth, and a lot lean new earth. And I'm not hearing squabbles about it. They're not like bringing it to the surface as the most important issue. Like it may come up. I know people that go to the Creation Museum and, you know, they probably tend more toward that. Like I don't see that. Now, I know it's out there in the Internet and uh, and people can get vicious like that. But I don't know. Have you seen that among people, you know, not just uh, some guy on on the on a podcast or a sermon or. Yeah, I, I know with a, a church that I I now. There's a big asterisk on this. A church that I used to go to when I was in college at the University of Minnesota. There was one of the lead, the leaders there, had a. This was well after I left because I moved away from college. Um, one of the lead guys there had a falling out of some sort, um, and is no longer a believer, or at least certainly seems that way. And I think one of the factors was this discussion. And I think that when he probably brought up, hey, I don't believe in a in a Genesis is literal interpretation, this church probably got way up in his face and said, you need to make a decision. Do you believe in God or not? Using this as the mm. as the metric. And that's an instance. Now, this is me hype, like, speculating, right? Where I don't know if there, that was the only factor, if it was even a factor at all, whether there are other factors. I don't know, to be honest. And this is... 
you asked if there were other people I can think of. This is the one example I can maybe yeah. think of. I'm sure as soon as I walk out of here, five other My people. My point are- is, though, is that I don't, I, I don't think it's a rampant issue I th- immediately, but it is out there for sure. Well, and another factor is that so many non-believers give believers crap over, you know, oh, you believe in young earth theory. And I think what that, or you believe in like the young earth and that Genesis is literal. And I, I think that only not only presents a problem for, for believers because they're not going to be equipped to answer that question. They either, they're going to be put on the spot and they're going to think, do I either not believe in science or do I not believe in God? And yeah. they have to make that tough call on the spot when they're on, they're, they're, they don't understand the question and, and what's actually at stake. And that's stressful. And that can lead to a lot of people saying, maybe I don't believe in God or maybe I'm not a Christian. Well, I would say my, encouragement, so. my encouragement to someone in that situation, say someone says, so you think you believe that Adam was made out of dust and Eve was taken out of the rib. Like, that's what you believe. And you believe in the ark. I was like, well, let me just actually raise you. I believe in angels and demons and a God who sustains the wor- the universe with his word, mm-hmm. you know, and a virgin birth and a resurrection. Like, that's the least of my – in other words, it's worse than they think. Right. Rather right. than, like, get scared and go, oh, oh man, they're going to think I'm weird because I believe in these things. Like, well, what about the new heavens and new earth? What about the reality of Satan? What about the God who made um, vessels, some vessels for wrath and some for mercy? Right. Like, raise the ante. Like, go all in. I was watching a – video one time and this guy asked this this pastor like hey what's the deal with god killing all these people in the old testament oh that's right yeah and the guy goes old testament like god's killed more than that yeah every being who dies god did that and it was just like oh yeah so yeah i don't think i don't think there's there's reason to be shy about the Genesis account, given the rest of the story, it's not like if you got rid of that, then everything else is really normal. I think. Well, I think the Genesis account, though, what what it has going against it in this context, if somebody approaches you and actually puts you on the spot, right, is the virgin birth. Well, that was one instance. We can't really. I mean, it's scientifically impossible. But was did this one person miraculously give birth this one time as a virgin? Okay, whatever. Uh, what about the future, right? Well, it hasn't happened yet, so we don't have any evidence of what will or won't happen. What about Satan and, and demons and gods? Well, spiritual stuff, obviously, there's not. We haven't found any evidence, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. But when it comes to the creation account, they're going to come back and say, look, we have, we have evidence, evidence to, the to show that that did not happen, that this claim is false. Whereas all the other ones are like, well, we don't have the evidence where it hasn't happened yet. So, so let me tell you, I, I, I see what you're saying there. Um so there are people that have responses to all those. And there's ministries out there mm-hmm. that respond to the carbon dating stuff and you know all these okay. things. They go yeah. out there and they can debate it all, all day. I don't go too far down that path. Yeah. Um, because, again, I've been in the ministry 11 years. This has not become a big issue in my ministry. Mm. Um, so some people rabbit trail there or, or I want to say rabbit trail, but like they specialize. They hunker down on that and they yeah. like it. But I hasn't to me, it hasn't been that big of a deal. I am comfortable saying that it does. I don't think that the creation account in Genesis one is a um, a scientific dictation of how the Earth was formed. You don't think? That no. You said. Okay. Now it doesn't mean that the Earth couldn't be young. No, I agree it just with that. means that I don't think that's the purpose of this passage. Yeah, I would agree with that. The main sure. purpose of this passage is a polemic. Mm-hmm. So that's. That's what I brought up to you when uh, last time we talked about the unseen. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a 
How would you define that? The well, so we talked about this a wee bit. In fact, this conversation for, again, for those of you who are listening in, this is supposed to be a continuation of our Unseen Realm discussion, which we had coming up a year. It was the unheard realm now. Yeah. Um, and one of the, the question that we left off on was, yeah. had to do with, was a lot of the, oh, can you still pick me up? No, you're good. Okay. Um, was a lot of the Old Test, well, with Genesis 1 through 11, a, its own standalone account of what happened in the world, or was that the Israelites telling a very similar account to what the surrounding religions thought their creation story was, but were telling it, retelling it in a way that gives glory to the true God rather than all the false gods trying to claim credit. And that came from where uh, this guy, Michael Heiser, looked at you know the surrounding religions at the time and said, hey, a lot of their creation stories are really similar to Genesis 1 through 11. And a lot of their practices are as old, if not older, than Hebrew, at least according to what evidence we have. So does that mean that, and a lot of Genesis was edited during, you know, a thousand years later during the Second Temple period. So you put all these things together and that's, you know, it's like, is Genesis 1 through 11 just a polemic, like a malicious satire of the surrounding false gods? Is that a potential outcome or of what it is? And what you and I, Donovan, got talking about was, even if it is, let's say that that stuff's true. Does that mean that the biblical account's actually not true in itself? Because what we talked about was, if there are these... Do you have a memory of this, or did you go back and listen to I it? I went back and listened. All right. Um, what are, if there are these false gods who are trying to claim credit for themselves, right? So this is what we're assuming that God is real. He has the fallen sons of God who have controlled the nations. And now they're setting up their own religion, setting themselves up as one true God. What's easier to do to come up with some real wacky story that isn't true and then trying to convince everybody that it is or taking the truth and just twisting it ever so slightly in a way that benefits you. It's easier to divert the river rather than com- turn it around completely. And I think, and what we discussed, and what I think we agreed to, was what's probably going on is that these false gods and the surrounding nations, right, of the Canaanites and Amorites and um, you know Marduk and and Baal and all these other false gods we, and Ashtoreth that we hear about in the Old Testament, were taking the actual creation account, sort of like what we see in Genesis, but then twisting it to make themselves out to be the real gods. And then that's why their creation stories are so similar. And I think you could, if you even look at, at uh, religions from around the world that are nowhere near the Middle East, you see really you see some similarities with how their pantheons work and why are they always on top of a mountain? Why do so many of them reference dragons and serpents? I'd have to do some more digging, but there's yeah. a lot of similarities. So I think there's probably two avenues for similarity. One is what you're saying, which is right the Satan disguises himself as an angel of light like he's going to take mm-hmm. some aspect of what seems true to us and just put a spin on it but also what i've always kind of envisioned it also like a game of telephone like this is collective experience human experience mm-hmm. and we tell our stories mm-hmm. we yeah. tell our legends we tell our and they change over time but sure. there's some nuggets that stay in there that are that are familiar right no matter all the way across asia south america like and then god comes in my you know view then is that he comes and goes okay let me clear things up mm-hmm. Right. There's a lot of half truths here going on. And so some of it, I think he's actually correcting the accounts of what actually happened. Right. Some of it is more polemic 
and these things can overlap yeah. where he's saying, hey, I'm actually the God. Yep. You know, you worship me in the sun, I made the sun. Yep. You worship me yeah. in the moon, I made the moon. That's well, how and when did you make it? Well, that's not what I'm telling you right now. This is not, we get, yeah. how long did it take you to make it? What's, what was the sequence? Yeah. What, what was the materials you formed it out of? He's like, that's not my point right now. Yeah. My point is you're worshiping the God that I made. Yep. That's the point. And so if you come to someone who's writing that for that purpose and impose a, uh, a, a bio or a, what do you call it, a geology class out of it, it's mm -hmm. like, this is not going to fly. Yeah, it's like if you were trying to teach a maybe a biology class and your only reference is the Song of Songs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sex Ed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh man. Um, so this is kind of rehearsed material for us. I mean, people probably don't remember that conversation. It's been a while, but yeah, I get. It. I went back. and I was like, you know, what did we go over, and what I was trying to gather notes and write down our answers to those questions that I had, and see if I had any follow ups. And I didn't actually have any follow ups, but what I did notice was the first question that dealt with. Was Genesis one three eleven? You okay? No, you're fine. Okay. Was Genesis one three eleven? Is that its own what I call the standalone kind of like you know God came down and said this, or was it that the Hebrews saw the surrounding nations and were like, you know what, we're going to write our own creation story that bashes all these other gods because we know our true God is the well, the true God, or is it somewhere in between? And I think it was somewhere in between where it's it is telling the true story. But picking out maybe specific details that sort of like a hey guys surrounding nations like hint hint your gods aren't you know aren't the real deal, um, and then one of the things that came out of that was well how does that in how does that influence our is Genesis literal or figurative because that would have a big impact that would have implications on that conversation and another thing too is I, I would certainly I and this ties back to what we were saying earlier I think a lot of uh, secularists see the creation story and automatically discount creationism be, or uh, uh, automatically discount Christianity, Christianity because they think that we do have to believe that that is a literal account of what happened. And that is all, not, not only that, that, that is what Genesis is. That Genesis is just to tell us how the world came to be. And that's not, we know that that's not what Genesis at least is not only supposed to be. It's supposed to set up what was the fall of human of humankind, the fall of the spiritual sons of God as well. And then it's the start of God's redeeming humanity through the brand or like through the line of Israel. Yeah. I still want to, let's linger here a little bit. I, I hear what you're saying about it being a stumbling block, but I feel like that's, that's the whole thing is a stumbling block. Like, <laughs> like you're going to say, well, that's a stumbling block. Well, no, don't worry. We don't believe it's literal. Here's what we believe. Oh, okay. Oh, and then, then all of a sudden, all the other stumbling blocks aren't going to be a problem. That's true. Yeah, I see your point. And I, I, at the end of the day, you just got to make a supernatural leap here. Yeah. You know, maybe that's the maybe that's the takeaway of the conversation is it's not just Genesis. That's just what I said. Like raise the raise the stakes. <laughs> it's worse than you think. And again, I, but, like I'm going to be taken to the holy mountain of God and be made into His image, and He's gonna yeah. He's gonna we're basically gonna love one another through all eternity through, and it's gonna be blissful pleasure. How about that one? Well, okay, even if I were an unbeliever, I would say, okay, that's all fine and dandy, but I don't have any recourse against that because you, Donovan, are talking about something in the future. But when it comes to creation story, we're talking about something well, in the past that we have evidence for. I that so I think that that is the, the, the touching point. It's the gotcha thing that really does trip a lot of people up. And you're right that if something has happened, if, if it may sound crazy, right, the new creation, the new earth, but that's in the future. Which means that we do have... Okay, let me go present. Okay. Because I see what you're saying. Okay. My testimony testimony to them is that 
presently, there is a living being, God, mm-hmm. who talks to me, comforts me, answers prayer, can change circumstances. Mm-hmm. So it's not just in the future or the past. Like it's a, And I think that's the rub is that it really essentially for them, that's not their experience right. until that happens. Right. And then they're like, oh. Yeah. That's how com- people don't come to Christ through the intellect. No. They come to Christ because the Spirit works upon them, mm-hmm. right? And whispers, I found you, thou art mine. Right. Oh. And now that's their present testimony. And now the future gets gets uh, grandfathered in with that, and mm-hmm. so does the past. Right. Like, oh, if I actually have this real experience with the living God— well, then my world has just been turned upside down. And yeah, I guess he can speak the world into existence and take me to his holy mountain and make me happy. Like it all gets thrown in with that. I think, too, your point about the, you know, the past and the future kind of get grandfathered in. I think that's something that a lot of, you know, when people are assaulted by skeptics and say, oh, you believe in X, Y and Z, you know, about Genesis and whatnot. I when I think about getting asked that question, I do think, you know what? I don't know what happened with the creation story. I don't know if it was meant to be literal or fig- like if it was, do I believe God could have literally done that? Oh, absolutely. Now that's not even a question. Do I believe, but then how would that mean that what physical evidence we have, like how would that explain what science is saying about creation? So, you know, not really scientists. I don't really know. Could, well, could he have done it figuratively just as science says, but then there is still a God. Oh yeah. I, I don't think that if God, it would not surprise me if God did take billions of years to make the universe. It's still a miracle. He said, no, I mean, you made the, you made this point about aliens at some point in sermons a long time ago. It's like, I would be surprised. If you, I think you said something along the lines of why wouldn't there be aliens? Why wouldn't he say, yeah, I want more. It's like, I'm infinite. Why would we think that the universe would be a finite thing? Cause I think, I know when I hear, Oh, the, inf- the universe is infinite. I'm like, Oh no, it is for some reason. There's something in me that says, Oh, does that mean that like God isn't real or something? Or maybe people would think that because, it's too big. To well, it make. seems like it shouldn't take him that long to to do something. Yeah, he's <laughs> like he's working really hard. Like, yeah, maybe that's it. But you know, to the Lord, a, a year's like a what does he say? A day's like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Yeah, like, but he's, like, he's, he's God. He is infinite. Like when you see the universe, say, like, look at my grand splendor and my creation. I made this, and it is infinite. Imagine what I am. And it's the same thing with the past too. Like if it took us billions of years to get to this point. It's like he spent all that time crafting it for us. But here's the thing. Compared to God, old earth is young earth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So even if you believe in old earth, it's just you think four and a half billion years is a, is a big number. But it's because you're a little baby. He's probably turning to Jesus looking at, you know, four and a half billion year old earth saying you grow up so fast. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the future, right? It wouldn't surprise me if Revelation didn't get fulfilled for tens of thousands of years. But that's just speculation at this point. So the person I think is really good in this area is uh, Tim Keller. Oh, yeah, okay. And by this area, I mean apologetics, dealing with the questions of the world yeah. and giving, a, giving them a fair shake yeah. and, and, and bringing reason in. But at the end of the day, getting to the gospel mm-hmm. because that's how people yeah. believe. Right, so, um, yeah, well, it's gonna entertain this, and at the end of the day, I, I, I don't know all the answers, but man, I can, I can talk about this. I can, I can deconstruct super. I can deconstruct uh, materialism as well. Um, materialism. 
well, the idea that there's only material. So materialism doesn't mean like ultimately philosophically doesn't mean oh, I'm into stuff. Yeah, it means like there's no spiritual realm. Right. That God is actually up in the clouds right. and we just can't find – we haven't found him yet or something. Right. Okay. So then, you know, we can deconstruct that too. Every The thing is we are limited. There's not a, there's not a fully uh, – I think Christian, Christianity is the closest fully intellectually satisfying worldview. There's still some things I'm like, well, I don't know how that works. But you're not going to – you didn't leave Christianity for a coherent worldview. Hmm. Materialism is coherent, so thing everything just came out of nothing, right? Or it never had a start, so then it wouldn't be because it never started. Like it, it right. has its philosophical problems, yeah. and you don't. So the presence of a paradox is not does not falsify a worldview because every world they all have them yeah we're on equal footing now well you know we could get in a real interesting tangent about that because as soon as you start dealing with like infinities our normal intuition of stuff starts breaking down um like i think you i can't remember his name but you had like a camacho yeah uh when he came in and he mentioned how like you know the sum of all natural numbers like one plus two plus three plus four you go up for forever to eternity and you get equals negative one twelfth. And obviously it doesn't make sense for several reasons, but then there are other, but they say apparently like in string theory, they actually use that for stuff and they've been able to observe it somehow. Don't ask me, but like, this isn't just some guy thinking in his his basement. Like this is in textbooks and scientists are using that for, um, relating to their actual observations of the physical world. Supposedly, I haven't done too much digging myself. But well, I did we're just learn, a couple of amateurs here. But I did learn on the internet, so. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things he brought up that I remember that was kind of stunning was the idea that there's different sizes of infinities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is unintuitive, right? Because right. how many, you already have an infinite amount of stuff. I was actually thinking about this yesterday. A line has an infinite number of points on it, Right. Just a line. You yeah, can yeah. Pick an, but then a plane like this uh, uh, thing right here is an infinite collection of lines. So you have an infinity times an infinity. All right. I was trying to get my kids the other day to, to get the concept that there's no actual lines anywhere. Like it's only a figment of your imagination because a, a oh. true line uh-huh. has no width. Otherwise, it's a plane. If it's if it's the, right. it's the, if it's the slightest. Measure wide, it's now a plane. It's a really narrow plane. Well, or yeah, or it has, it has width. It's not a it's not a line where it's a just a one dimensional figure. Yeah. So a line is a there's you can't actually create a line on this planet. Even if you draw a pencil line, you can't create a plane on a this pl- planet either. Everything has dimension and all. Right, it's going to have depth. So everything you can't even make a forget <laughs> line. You can't even you can't even make a plane in this universe. Right. Yeah. Right. So what are we talking about? This we're talking about the incomprehensibility. Of reality and infinity, and for you to come and go, oh yeah, your worldview has some really weird thing, and it. it's like, yeah, they all do, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But and this is where where Christianity comes in. I think is I do think it's philosophically coherent. Uh, one of the big reasons is this idea of the logos, mm-hmm. right? It's this sense that the universe makes sense, like things are ordered. Right, science and biology and math and all that, like they, they all work for some reason. When I when I speak to you, you you understand, and we can do this thing. Like that's what the Greeks were 
noticing in the in the universe and saying what what is why is that it's well, not just a mess not of just chaos. chaos right and they said there's a thing called the logos which is the reason the organizing principle behind the universe mm. They didn't call it a living God. When John picks up that concept in the beginning of John, calls him the word. it says, in the beginning was the, the Logos, word. translated as the word. word. Ah, and that word was with God, and that word was God, and that word became flesh. So, but this idea that there's this, there is a re- reason, the world seems reasonable, yeah. actually. And that to me means, let me ask you this, is it, okay, so it doesn't make sense to me that the world would be uncaused. Right, because we've never seen anything uncaused happen in our life. There's always a cause. X happened because of something else. Like why happened? Things don't just appear. Like yeah, if someone did that, you'd be like, oh, magic. You wouldn't be like, oh, of course. That that's that's nature. Yep. Donna, I'm just sitting in my kitchen making breakfast, and Donna just pops out of nowhere. So we intuit we intuit that um, caused things are uncaused things are magical. Things that just come out of nowhere is is magic. Yeah. Right, so meaning in, in, a, in a physical only world, maybe a materialistic world. Right, it can't happen. Right, right. So that to me, I go, okay, there's 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 a cause behind this. Now, here's a question: like when we look at the way the world is, like the fact that there is reason. Let's just take two things: there's reason and there's morals. Mm-hmm. Right, there's reason and there's morals. Is it just what's the what's the easiest assumption that the cause of this reason having moral having universe also has reason and morals or that it doesn't yeah. it's to me obvious that again we find these truths to be self-evident like it makes more sense if i had to bet i'd bet that the cause also is like that yeah right it's the so, presence of ethics i mean because you can't prove that there's like an ethic somewhere right you can't hold it in your hand and say oh i found it but i think it's easy for you know non-believers to say oh it's just a biologic thing and they don't exist the ethics aren't an objective thing but they don't live that way no of course not because it's not true i'll share the story i was this is uh um i may have sh- shared this before but i was building a relationship with a hindu guy and he was a he was like for real like he was into it he studied it he thought about it he practiced it showed me his idols all that stuff mm. Talks about his God actualization. His God actualization? Well, that's what they're doing. That's what Hinduism is progressing toward. So, okay, let me back up. Hinduism, the, the as a whole, as a worldview, it's the idea that there's monism, is that there's only there's only one type of uh, essence in the world, right? So I taught a couple weeks ago about um, – well, you guys will get this this week mm. – uh, Christianity being a dualistic worldview. So we believe there's the material and the non-material. Right. Or there's the, the world and the spirit world. It's mm-hmm. dualism. And then there's monism. Materialism, like atheism, is a type of monism. It just means mono. There's just one type of thing, and it's the physical world. Gotcha. There's another type of monism. So like I could sum it up that way, saying that um, the atheist would say, this is all there is, and there is no God. Right? A monist, like a like a Hindu, a Hindu, pantheist, religious type monist would say, "This is all there is, and it is God." Right? All is your God. I'm God. That's God. This is God. This is God. We're all we're all God. The problem, the fall, is that we have forgotten that. Just forgotten. Not well, even done something wrong. Well, according to the tale, 
what I believe is that is that the the prime being um, out of boredom because you're perfect deluded himself into illusion forgetting he's God so what's the purpose of uni- of, of life and universe is to agree is to you go back to that place where all is one mm-hmm. that's the state of Nirvana right like where you go and everything we forget our our division the, the problem is the illusion of division right like I think you're you and you and, and I'm me and that's that but once that all absolves and we realize all is one, it's very matrixy matrixy was actually very huh. they used a lot of Christian imagery but it was actually a lot of it was actually very Hindu um, oh. reincarnation all that stuff so so his God actualization is him following his path whatever religious duties are to to continue to work his way up the reincarnation ladder, right, right, okay. to his God actualization, to becoming or remembering, entering the apprehension that he is God. It's interesting that if you think about like the whole Christianity, spiritual warfare stuff, right? What's the lie there? Because this is where I think the fallen sons of God, when they're trying to deceive the nations, get real tricky. Because to some extent, there, there's actually what I can affirm there is that there's been a fall. Yeah. What I can affirm there is that there is God. Uh-huh. What I can affirm there is that we are to be one with Him. Now they collapse it all into one being, right? There's just actually just one God. We're all one being. To to the end to distract, not to to pull our eyes away from Him, right? Right. There's still we're not. Don't focus on God. No, no. Everything's God. Focus on your friends and your family and the world around you. Don't focus on God. He no, no. We're right, all yeah. God, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so anyway, so I'm talking to this guy about yeah. his God actualization and stuff like that. Like, um, there's a story in the Bhagavad Gita, which is their scriptures, mm-hmm. where I believe it's Krishna, one of their main characters, right? God. One of their main characters. Has to go to war, but across the battlefield is his family members. Okay. Like and he's it, fighting against them? Yeah, for whatever reason, the narrative has set it up that way. Mm. He doesn't want to kill them, but you know, it's caught between a rock and a hard place. This is where the narrative has led. So it's a moral dilemma. Okay. How do you solve the moral dilemma? Here's the solution in Hinduism. In Hinduism is that's an illusion that you thinking you're killing your brother, but your brother is not. Remember, remember, it's all illusion. It's all monism. It's all one. Even killing isn't killing. Hmm. Right? Like, when you think about, there's not actually, there's not actually a basis for good and evil. All is God. There's no, in Christianity, in dualism, there's no, there's actually a dark demonic realm that has misled us to go dark places into actual evil. But the solution in, in, in Hinduism is like, no, it's, that you just, that's just all the result of illusion. So there's a low level understanding of, of Hinduism where it's like, well, we shouldn't do good, we shouldn't do bad things, and we should do good things. And the, but at the highest philosophical level, it's all the same. And so the breakthrough for Krishna to have the courage to kill his family oh. is to realize that he's buying into the illusion of division and difference between self and good and evil. Okay? Mm. Here's what that means rape is a good thing. Or at least not an evil. It's not an evil thing. There is no evil. Right. So I'm talking to this man about that, and he's like, yes, that's correct. I said, do you teach your son that? And he said, no. And I said, why not? And he said, I don't have enough faith. Wow. 
That's intense. That's intense. And that just shows what sort of forces we're up against. What forces, yeah. So the point is this. That they've convinced the man that it because he doesn't think he believes that rape is good, that he doesn't have enough faith. And I don't know if anyone directly taught him that or he just arrived at that conclusion. I mean, I just, I don't know if you've ever been posed with that question. You probably hadn't. So. That was a good question, by the way. Yeah. You're a good interviewer. Well, thanks. Um, but then again, what is the point of that? It might shake him a little bit and go, huh, I need to think about. Well, no, it's going to challenge you. Know? Get, well, my, my actual, what I can tell, what I know is true about ethics. Uh disagrees with what I'm being taught and what these scriptures say. So he's going to have to make choices. He's going to have to tear his own heart out to, you know, remove his own understanding of ethics and morals to believe in this, these scriptures, or he's going to have to dump these scriptures, the, the Hindu scriptures, to um, align with what he knows is true about ethics. and morals. It's the truth in his heart giving testimony. Yeah. And so then what I do is I also... I don't just deconstruct and... Just drop the mic and walk yeah, away. Yeah. Tell them about <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is why we believe these things are true, that love actually exists and that there is a good and evil and and we've fallen short of the glory of God and, you know, present the gospel to him. And uh, as of yet, I don't think he's a believer, but that's that's what you do is you share. Um, Our job isn't to convert them either. Our job is to share. Yeah. To bring the good news, not to... You know, chalk another one up on the big board, as it were. I do have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Um, do you have a big board? You mean like literally? Yeah. No. Okay. No. Um, all right, let's do I feel compelled since I went down that path to do a, a quick takedown of uh, um, the moral basis for ethics or the, the philosophical basis for morals or ethics in the world of atheism. Okay. So like by my reasoning, if there's no God, there's no good. Right. And I would agree with that. Okay. But some people like, um, oh, what is Hawkins and uh, Sam Harris? Yeah. Would ground morality, not in a supernatural being, yeah. but in evolution. Well, okay. So that, hey, hey, this is, this is how we've evolved. The, is is and therefore that's how we survive. Like it's inherent to our nature that we must cooperate, we must blah 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 blah. So, but who says that that's the metric to go with? Well, I'm just saying that's the argument they're making. Right, but you but know it's inherently problematic for a couple reasons. Number one, evolution evolves. Mm. So that get welcome to the new era. Yeah. The new evolution of, of how we will be living around here. Right. And you can't make an analog to nature and say, see, in nature, cooperation is what works. Like, oh, no, no. Not necessarily. No, 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 no. So it's not inherently true. You may say that's what's gotten us here, but it doesn't mean that's where we need to go. And now it's come down to what you want versus what I want, not what's actually just and right. Well, because there is no just or right. 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 They're trying to say there is. But that's what we're here to do is take it down. And I think I, I, would, I, would, I think I would respect them or respect the atheistic stance more if they just came out and said, you know what? You're right. There is no such thing as ethics or morals. There is no, there's nothing inherently wrong with rape. Heck, we even see it in nature all the time, but we don't want to do that because we know it hurts people and I would rather not get hurt myself. So the best way for me to achieve that is to not hurt other people yeah. because then they won't repercuss. I'm like, okay, I can understand. You know what? That's a logical 
explanation. And they came out and they had the guts to say that they don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with, with um, you know, crimes or, or violent acts because according to the worldview, there can't be something wrong with it because that would mean right. that, would that there's some, yeah, if they, they'd be being, they would be consistent and honest with their worldview. When they come back and hide, it's, and this applies to Christianity as well, by which I mean, I think when somebody does try to defend Genesis with science, if they know in their heart that the two are at odds, but they're trying to make it work, it's like, come on, guy. Like, don't do it lukewarm. Make one call or the other. Or just say, I don't know. It's okay to say you don't know. I wish people would say that more at work all the time. They think that they know, but they actually don't. But um, it's the same thing, you know, with atheists in the situation. They say, you know, I haven't resolved the ethics situation yet. And you're right. It sounds like there can be one, but I'm sure there is. If they came out and said, I don't know, I'd respect that. But if they come back and say, no, I know that there is, you know, an ethic. Uh, objectively, there, there are ethics. Well, it used to make God. me mad. It used to make me mad that um, I would talk with atheists and they would not admit that because there's if there's no God, there's no good. It would infuriate me because it's intellectually incoherent and dishonest at some level. Like yeah. now, there's two things going on there. Number one, maybe they just they they don't not making the connection logically, just missing it. That's fair. But I think what's actually happening is it's it's God's mercy mm-hmm. preventing the conclusion. From going rampant. That's part of him that he imbued on us yeah. was his mercy and, and that ethic. Right. So that incoherence is a mercy of God. Otherwise, it's going to get out of hand real quick. Right. And you know? I mean, it has gotten out of hand before. But it's going to get worse. <laughs> yeah. Just when that when that ethic is being is being uh, twisted and manipulated and mutilated, much less if it's just removed outright, then it'll get really bad. If you have like a whole nation of psychopaths out there, or sociopaths, whichever one it is, that doesn't have empathy here. There was a guy I used to work with. Uh, he was a manager. I would hound him about this stuff. <laughs> he came up to me one day and said, you know what? I see what you're saying. You're right. If there's no God, there's no good. I was like, yeah. And he goes, I guess I just don't care. And that was a that was a revelatory moment for me. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm, the game is not to win the argument. Yeah. I didn't. It didn't do anything. But the good news of this one is, I now went, I was I was part of the witness to him. He messaged me a few years later after I moved out of California and said, "Hey man, you'd be glad to know I'm a believer now." And yeah. um, blah blah blah. <laughs> one so one day I was I was talking with him in the office at night, checking out because I'm a waiter. He's checking me out. Like that means counting my money, not like <laughs> he may have been checking me out too, but. Um, and I was talking to him. And he's like, you know, he was starting to show interest in religion. He was telling me his wife was hanging out with some Mormons. And I was like, man, I feel compelled to warn you, man. Like, Mormonism is not Christianity. And I started, like, going there, like, about what they believe, about multiple gods and multiple wives and all this stuff. And he was like, really? And this other manager who's sitting there who I thought was a Christian because he referred to himself as that. Oh, boy. He goes, I'm a Mormon. And that's not what we believe. I was like, 
Well, first of all, like, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. Didn't mean to call you out. Stop calling yourself a Christian then. Um, but they do. Mormons call themselves Christians, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, no, that is what you believe. You believe you don't believe there's more than one God? He's like, well, we only worship one of them. I was like, okay. But that's, that's not, not what, what I, I was saying. That's <laughs> like, not what I asked. But it was a big you know, moment. Oops. Like, ugh. That does, and this is another tangent we can go down. I do think it's an important dis- discussion, though, is... Obviously, when we're looking at these scriptures, we're going to start interpreting things differently. When is it? I mean, you said, but maybe we're actually already at this discussion, right? What we agree, what you said earlier, what is, what is deterministic about, or what is the determination that if someone's a believer or not, that they believe that Jesus is their Lord and Savior and died on the cross for their sins and was resurrected. So if I'm like, well, I believe in free will. And somebody's like, well, I don't. I believe in predestination. Does that make the difference? Does it make the difference in terms of them being a Christian? Yeah. No, it makes the difference between them being an elder in my church or not. Right. Because we have to be unified on those things. Right. But if somebody isn't unified, right? And so, I mean, this, I mean, we've seen this happen all the time where if we're, and maybe not so much in America today, but obviously through history where people are disagreeing about seemingly, I wouldn't say. Well, they're killing each other over this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, okay. There's a line somewhere, and clearly that is well beyond it, right? So you got to remember the, uh, you know, all the all the Christians that came here fleeing persecution were not running from Muslims. No, they were running from the Christians. Although it's funny, Christians. they may have been running from Christians only because they were persecuting them over there, and then the other group that they were persecuting came into power and were trying to like then suppress or oppress their oppressors, and then they came over. So I've heard, like, don't think that the Puritans were all that pure. They had plenty of blood on their hands as well. But anyway, um, yeah, right? It's like, okay, we so don't know. baptism. What... People were killing each other over that. So there's that, right? There's this line between when is it okay? When can we burn someone? That's what you want to know? <laughs> oh, okay, you can't, yes. That's, That's going to be the title of the podcast. When, when can, can we burn Jack someone burn at the stake? Somebody <laughs> at the stake? <laughs> um, but, but, right, so there's a, you, right, this, this free will, versus uh, predestination thing is a deterministic factor of whether we we consider ourselves unified, right? Well, it depends on what you mean for what, like... Um, for people uh, at this church. Well, or for the then, leadership. I mean, for the yeah, leadership. so you you, know, you got to work out in concentric circles. Like, there's certainly people at our church who who don't believe what I believe about Calvinism. Right. I and think that, the majority do. That's why they wouldn't be able to tolerate tolerate it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I do think there's people who are learning. They don't even, they're not sure. They're confused. Or they're, they're not, that's not where they are, but they don't care. They're not bothered by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's going to depend, you know, if like, you know, what I tell people is like, hey, here's what we believe. Like, you don't have to be 100% on board with all the stuff we teach, but like, are you, can you be nice? Because you're going to be sitting there in the pew burning every week because I'm, uh, you know, like I have I have other pastor friend I have pastor friends who aren't Calvinists, mm-hmm. you know, and they respect me and I respect them and they speak well of my church and I speak well of their church. If you go over there, I'm not like, oh, it's a heretical church. Like, right. I'm gonna say, is this issue important to you? No. Well, then you'll probably be fine there. Which is a big important issue for you. You're gonna it's it's gonna be missing for you. But he's a brother, and I don't feel the need to take him down. Right. You know. I think that's the healthy way of approaching it rather than saying, let's go, like getting a, some pyres set up and say, let's burn, <laughs> let's burn the sucker down. Or yeah. even just badmouthing him. You know right. what I mean? Like this, the reality is the majority of the churches in, in, the, in the city are, are not Calvinist. 
And right. Then, yeah. My, yeah. Capitalism is the minority position. Mm-hmm. Our default is free will. Absolutely. And but I also think the majority of the churches in town are genuine believers that are want to help people grow in their faith. Now I think there's a thing they're missing that they would do well to get get on board with. But um, yeah. So I can and again. So when you say can we are we unified? Well, it's like well, for what are we unified? Is in I think you're a believer and man, we're gonna see you in heaven. Yeah, and like we can pray together and like mm-hmm. have fellowship. Like yeah. Am I gonna make you a group leader at my church? No. Can you be a member of my church? Of course. Like. Mm-hmm. Not if you're nasty, right? Yeah. About it. Um, so that's not well. Yeah, obviously that's not the one. The one metric as to whether or not you can be in leadership. There's others, right? Right. Yeah. But I mean, even as a member, like, mm-hmm. right, if, like let's oh. say you have a different position on, you know, my interpretation of Revelation or or baptism. We yeah. have people that uh, that believe in infant baptism at our church. You know. Okay. They came from a Lutheran background or whatever. They were baptized that way. And they're like, that's, you know, not a lot, but it's happened. It's like, okay. Like, we have people that disagree with the way we do communion. You know, they uh, some people have a more, like, stringent view about how that should be done, how it should be talked about. You know, okay, like, yeah. and that's not what's happening here. So, like, okay, but how big of an issue? Does it make you irate? Are you sitting at home? Mm-hmm. Are you going to write emails? Or are you like, ah. Oh. Strongly worded letter. Every right. Week? Yeah. Right. So these things, so each one of us needs to get these things weighted in order of importance. And certainly at the center needs to be the gospel. Yeah. Um, and then some probably close seconds and thirds to that. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. The way that you're describing how, you know, you let them be, I shouldn't say you let them be members as if you're, you know, pardoning them or something. But, but it's the fact that you welcome them in as members. And I think if they as members are respectful of the church and they're like, you know, I disagree with them on this, but I still love being here. And, and they're not trying to start a faction. Right. We are all, we're all starting Armenian Bible study. Yeah. I think we uh, just statistically speaking, right. We're going to find a lot of disagreements between all the Christians in the world. And if we start going at each other's throats or calling each other non-Christians, like, is that, is that, do you really think like people listening, do you really think that's the way we should be doing this? Right? Should we at Redeemer be calling all other churches who don't believe in every little single thing that we that we believe non-Christians? Yeah. And if, for those who would say, well, of course not, we shouldn't do that. And say, okay, then you are acknowledging that there are some things that we can disagree on that are it's okay to disagree on. That that's not a deterministic factor, and we really shouldn't get all that high strung about it. And for those who say, yeah, I would agree with that, then okay. Now, obviously, you can take that line of where it's where it is and isn't okay, and you can bring it way too far on the scale or on the the spectrum, right? In either extreme, progressive Christianity brings it way too far on one side, where they say you don't even have to believe that Jesus was God to be a Christian. It's like, well, okay, that's taking it too far in that direction. The other side is if you don't believe that, you know, in in infant baptism, you deserve to burn in hell, right? That's what, <laughs> that's in the way other sides. So obviously, okay, there are two extremes. There's we know that that one side is too the the line's been too brought too far on one side. We know that the other uh, like progressive Christianity is down the line's too far on the other side. But somewhere think, in the middle. I, I do think that most churches in the U.S. because we've had to live together have figured that out. Yeah. There's a couple people that are angry and irate and. You know about issues, but as a whole, yeah. my experience is, you know, around town, the churches speak well of each other. They, um, they're not like putting out public blast of the the thing that the other church doesn't believe. Like they do things together to serve the city. They'll get together. Like, um, 
and I think that's because they've they've had to, right? We've had we've had time, I think, yeah. to to kind of think through these things. You had to work through a couple few centuries of like, okay, what what's really of most importance? Because you know, at some point historically, what you have to look like is there was there was one truth. It was the Catholic Church, yep. which defined the whole. And as soon as there's an aberration from that, it was heresy. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's an aberration. It's wrong. And that, that impacts history. And anytime there's an aberration, it's like, oh, wait, aberrations are not good. Eventually, the aber- aber- aberrations get so out of control so fast. You have all these other denominations. Yep. It's like, well, are we all going to go to war on one another? Or like, yeah. or we have to come to some understanding of what are the essentials yep. and what are the open-handed issues. Which I think is obviously... Because we've had to examine, because what, what the Catholic Church was, the, the the one true, like the one church for three out of three out of four, three quarters out of four of the Christian history, right? Up until about fifteen hundred, maybe fourteen hundred. I can't remember exactly yeah. when Luther and Luther came about, but I mean that was the case, right? Having different denominations was not the norm for seventy five percent of Christian history, right? And then nowadays, now we've had five hundred years to we have different. Where we are getting conversation out there about different interpretations, and now we can say, "Hey, wait, maybe this isn't a life or death scenario. Maybe we can disagree, not fully understand what the scriptures really do say about this, and we're still okay." So then, that does, as you said, makes us really have to come to terms with, "Okay, what are the important things?" Because when you have the Catholic Church, and as we did. And that was the one set of beliefs that you can believe. You never really knew which were the all the all the tenets, right? Which one were which ones were the real critical stuff, and which ones are kind of more. And everything's critical. critical, right? The whole thing's raised to the same. So level then you don't. Words. You're not focusing on the essentials. No, in fact, the essentials are getting forgotten. Right. In fact, because the Catholic Church starts getting into a lot of legalism stuff, just like the Pharisees that Jesus came down to stop. How, how ironic and yet sensible that that happened. Um, where was I going? I don't know. Where are we at for time? We got to stop. Yeah. That's good. Um, well, we made no progress in my Unseen Realm discussion, except for a little bit on the the like the literal verse figure. But we had already talked about that. But what? we kind of refined it a little bit. What? what had part? we already... T- oh. The Unseen Realm discussion? Then had we already talked about that issue, the literal... Well, we touched on it the first time we talked, discussed about the Unseen Realm, but we never really came to a, what I felt was like a good conclusion. Okay. We, I felt like there was more things that needed to be said and more avenues that needed to be discovered. One of which was the whole, well, sure, you have the all the other crazy aspects of the Christian faith. Like, why well, only focus on the Genesis sure. story? Well, the Genesis story is the only one where we actually have evidence that not, again, actually, according to secularists, would say, we have proved that this is not true. Right. They can't do that with the virgin birth. Have you ever listened to rebuttals of that? Uh, if I have, I don't think I found them convincing. That's where you got into this, like, pick a side, dude. Like, what's it going to be? I th- that yeah, I, I think so. It, it's sort of like it's it's pick a side. So I sure just say just say I don't know. I have to, I you know, it's okay to say I don't know. But we that was the one aspect of the yeah. unseen realm discussion. So we've now tackled two out of my six questions. Good. We're on we're on pace for one question per sesh. Yeah. And so that's good. Yeah. Good. Well, we're gonna sign off here. I gotta drive home and go to group. I get to. Well, you have group Tuesday nights also? Yep, in an hour and a half. Awesome. Good. Well, hey, all, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy, and we'll see you soon. All right, covered a lot of stuff. Man, that was a good one. That was real. I had a real fun time. That was some real good discussion.
these are the discussions I like having. Yeah. This is juicy stuff, guys. <laughs> yeah. This is some real juicy stuff. Come on. And I hope that other people listen and get, you know, fruitful stuff out of it. And I hope they. Well, folks, have to apologize. The last 10 minutes of this podcast audio, I somehow lost it. So just wanted to drop that note. You got the gist of it. Uh, tune in next week for another episode. See ya.